Hello and welcome to the first episode of the M6 podcast. I'm your host Moritz Kraska and I'm joined today by Dr. Eric Helms to talk about motivation and motivation in bodybuilding. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to give a brief introduction of the podcast and Eric, and I'll start off with the podcast. The name is M6 and M6 is an acronym that stands for Menzana Incorporesano. And this is a quote by, in Latin, by a Roman poet named Juvenal, who lived in the 1st and 2nd century after Christ, and was mainly known for his satire. And this quote is a good example of the style he used to write in. Um, the literal translation is a healthy mind and a healthy body, although the quote is a bit longer actually, and says something like, if you're going to pray, at least pray for a healthy mind and a healthy body. Now, this quote has several layers to it, and uh, this is kind of the reason why I find it so interesting and appealing. One being him questioning the utility of prayer. So, you know, kind of asking, does it make sense to pray uh, implicitly? Um, then he's kind of questioning the outcomes that people used to pray for, which at the time very often happened to be um, money and fame, very much like today. And uh, he's also alluding to the importance of um, physical and mental health as a foundation um, to, to um, grow from, so to speak. And yeah, like I said, this resonates really well with me. And we're not really going to talk too much about prayer um, as such on the podcast, but we're probably going to talk a lot about mental and physical health and how they go together, and also about the outcomes that might be good to strive for, good to build or to put as goals, you know, put down as goals. And I think today's episode where we talk about motivation is very much in line with the quote and kind of questioning the outcomes that certain people associate with other outcomes. And um, I'm very glad to have Eric Helms on as a guest. Um, Dr. Eric Helms is a pro-natural bodybuilder. He is a natural bodybuilding coach. He's competed in a number of different iron sports such as bodybuilding, unequipped powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, and recently also in Strongman. Um, this is his in-the-field experience and aside from that he has a quite impressive academic background starting with a bachelor's degree in fitness and wellness, a master's degree in sports nutrition, another master's degree in exercise science, a PhD in strength and conditioning and he's a research fellow for AUT at the Sports Performance Institute of New Zealand. Um, aside from that, he's also part of a research review called MASS, Monthly Applications in Strength Sport. He is host, or at least um, regular host, of two podcasts. One, there is always a host in the Iron Culture podcast, another one um, where he's not a host on every episode, but a lot of them, 3MJ podcast, that I can only recommend if you have anything to do with bodybuilding. Um, and he is a speaker and I would say educator and thought leader in the fitness community 
um, and gives talks and presentations all around the world. And we actually met at one of those talks or presentation that he gave on uh, the preparation period of natural bodybuilding in Munich here in February 2020. And like I said, I'm delighted to have him on. We had a interesting discussion about motivation in bodybuilding and um, how that relates to certain populations. And um, I hope you can take something away from it uh, and enjoy the discussion as much as I did. So without further ado, Dr. Eric Helms on motivation and bodybuilding. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for that, uh, that that full introduction, man. It's very, I'm honored. Anything else we got? Nothing that needs to be stated. I think it's all good. I've got a cat named Milo. He's he's doing well. And another cat named Bucky. Maybe we, we, can, we can leave it there, though, I think. Okay. I think that's important to know. <laughs> okay. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, motivation in sports or in bodybuilding. Um, and I mean, we know that how you set your training up in terms of rep sets, frequency, exercise selection, relative intensity, all that stuff is really important. And if you don't have those parameters in check, you're not going to progress decently long-term. But aside from that, there, there's, um, like a big underlying, um, aspect of training that is going to ensure or not ensure that you actually keep training for a long time, which is motivation. And um, I think, yeah, there, there are different types of motivation and different reasons people are motivated. And um, so I would like to talk about um, motivation, like as a general concept in terms of well, in, the, in the scientific literature, there's this distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Um, and how that relates to specifically bodybuilding um, in comparison to maybe different other sports and how there might be a unique, um, I would say, clientele or population that is attracted to bodybuilding for the outcomes uh, that are associated with it. Um, so maybe to start off, do you think um, bodybuilding attract is has a special type of motivational profile that it attracts uh i think i think the difference between um people who want to improve their physique and uh have aesthetic goals versus people who get into competitive bodybuilding um i think generally uh, you will see probably more people who are find some elements of intrinsic motivation who um, get into competitive bodybuilding and that may be because of the process they find themselves having to go through to compete in, in, in bodybuilding competitively. The, uh, the contest prep period is very, very difficult. The rewards are pretty minor. You know, the, there's no, uh, there's no money to be won. Uh, there is, I mean, there is at the highest level, um, and it's a very, very small amount. And then if you were a natural bodybuilder, it's, it's barely enough to cover the cost of flying to your show. Um, so the external rewards are very few. Um, the way you look as a natural bodybuilder, or I would just say as a bodybuilder in general, is not necessarily something that is uh, awarded or lauded 
um, by by the general public. Um, you know, being covered in, in in really dark bronze tanner, shaving her whole body, wearing a speedo and flexing, uh, and trying to get to the point where you're leaner than most people would want to look with with lines in places that there normally aren't supposed to be lines. I think there's fewer external rewards. So you'll, you will, by, by consequence, if anyone has gone through the competitive process, uh, you'll end up having more intrinsic motivation. But I do think that um, the goal of bodybuilding itself is one, uh, or, or I should just say, uh, changing your aesthetics, um, modifying your body. It's very easy for that to become uh, for external factors, you know, social pressure to look a certain way, um, not liking something, and that's not necessarily, uh, you know, going to lead itself towards developing a strong intrinsic motivation to do something. So I think it depends on whether we're talking about competitive or non-competitive. Um, and I do think that despite that uh, aspect of competitive bodybuilding, um, giving people an opportunity to find more meaning and, and have a deeper attachment to it because it's so difficult with, few, with so few rewards, the, the process of, of competing um, can pose a challenge to people who might have been initially intrinsically motivated. So I think we'll have a cool conversation here about um, people who just want to improve their physiques for uh, non-competitive reasons and to be able to speak to maybe some of the challenges that competitors have once they get wrapped up into the, the competitive scene and how they find that sometimes can ironically sap them of their, their motivation in a way they didn't expect. Right. Yeah. I like how you go into the distinction uh, between, well, someone who does it as a hobby, um, recreationally, like I would consider myself someone like that. Like, um, I really enjoy bodybuilding. I want to build as much muscle as I can. I like to get kind of shredded every now and then, like probably, um, well, still in the, for me, at least healthy zone, um, meaning, you know, probably a good eight to 10 weeks away from stage. So you don't have all the horrific hormonal adaptations that are associated with the last couple of weeks. Um, and then, um, yeah, I really liked how you touched on, first of all, that probably people are more intrinsically motivated or more likely to take part in a competition, in a, in a bodybuilding competition. But then again, the competition itself poses a risk to that motivation um, by, well, I mean, part of the process that probably most athletes and um, lifters fall in love with is the progression of training. And um, one aspect, but I think a very important one. And that's something that definitely goes down the drain, depending on um, how you set your, your dieting phase up could be kind of early, could be later. Um, like even me who hasn't dieted down to stage lean level, I've definitely, um, seen significant decreases in strength, um, for, yeah, the, the main lifts pretty much. And, um, so that's pretty much not taken away from you. You can definitely, it, and it's a big mental thing, how, how much you, um, sort of let it take away from you or how much you're willing to put into it to maintain your strength levels at some, at some point. Um, but yeah, maybe, um, we should start, or I would, I'd like to start off with on the other end of the spectrum, like people who are definitely on the, 
um, extrinsically motivated side of things who come to bodybuilding or who come to a coach or like a personal trainer uh, and say, well, I want to be at X number of weight. I want to lose a um, certain amount of pounds and I want to have a six pack, but um, I have, haven't done anything for the past two decades. Like get me there as fast as possible. What do you think is a good point to start someone like that off with? Like where, where do you uh, grab him and where do you put him on a path? Like where would he start? Yeah, with someone like that, I think it's really important to listen to the language they use. Um, uh, really ask a lot of questions uh, and it'll give you insight into why they're willing to pay a lot of money, commit a, a lot of time to a goal that before they came to you, they've invested no time into for two decades. Um, something that they say is important, um, but it's not something they've acted on at all. Um, so I think also the, the verbiage you use there is also very common. Uh, get me there. It's, it's almost as though it's something that they're hiring you to do for them. Like your, your contractor is going to work on their roof. Um, rather than someone who's going to, to teach them how to train, how to live a different lifestyle, and to embark on something that should be a lifestyle that they they uh, they if they don't do just for a summer to look shredded. That they this is now what you're going to be doing uh, if you because there's no way to maintain that physique unless you keep training and and uh, keep eating in a, a certain way. So um, that's that's the kind of of insight that could be totally missed and you could just give them a uh, you know quote unquote transformation plan uh, where really nothing's transformed except the way they look um, and they get there and then that was just a story they could tell and pictures they could show but they'll be hiring some other other trainer in five years when uh, they've been not training for four and a half so um, to avoid that uh, I think that that needs to be spoken to to some degree um, so asking a lot of questions, um, there's techniques from, from motivational interviewing, which I would highly recommend, uh, where essentially what you're trying to do is find out, um, and help them, uh, put words to, uh, what they're doing or, or sorry, why they want to do what they want to do. What is the, 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 the deepest goal that they can, they can get to? What, what is the, uh, the, the motivating factors behind their actions? Um, it's very different. It's very difficult to change uh, if you don't understand the underlying why. So there is uh, there's there, there's a fair amount of things to understand here. Um, and essentially, if someone is going to to make a permanent change, um, they need to have a strong attachment to that that goal. And if initially the attachment is something that is maybe a response that they don't like about themselves uh, or social pressure to look a certain way, or it's an attempt to, to fix something that is actually not going to be fixed by the process of lifting weights, um, that, that probably won't be maintained. Um, a great example of that is people who have lost weight multiple times. Uh, and, and a lot of people these days, if they're coming to someone for bodybuilding and they say they want a six pack, it's going to involve fat loss and muscle building. So they'll be lifting weights to put on size, um, and you'll probably be supporting them with a higher protein diet, but there'll be at least phases of, uh, of dieting cyclically uh, or something like that. Um, and a lot of people 
Um, they want to lose weight because they feel like they don't have a sense of intrinsic self-worth. If they don't look a certain way, there's societal pressure. They think they'll be more attractive to a mate. They may feel that it will uh, save a failing marriage. Um, they may have just been uh, shamed by a doctor or, 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 or themselves or something like that. Um, instead of, of having some kind of stronger connection to it. Um, and what that connection looks like needs to be individually defined. But if you can't figure out your current perceptions on it, then you can't start to reframe that and tell a story that, that, that has a deeper meaning that someone would be able to hook into emotionally and motivate them forward. Um, and this is a tough one for personal trainers, especially um, because what we're taught is that uh, we need to have SMART goals, you know, and the, the, the acronym SMART, uh, there's a couple of different ways it can be, but uh, typically it's like specific, measured, um, uh, actionable, uh, time restricted, but but basically is give specific numbers, a specific timeline, they need to be realistic, that's the, a, that's the R. I, I, I did a SMART goal accidentally. Um, and, uh, and, and basically how much, when, uh, how long we're going to take to get there? What are the potential obstacles we need to overcome? And it is a good plan to get a specific objective done. Um, but if I recall correctly, it was borrowed from like business, you know, um, and that's great if you need to meet a, a deadline with like a shipping company or something like that, or uh, develop an action plan to get a business to be, uh, you know, viable after five years and, and supporting all of the the owners and the the partners and the employees, but, um, and it may be really good to get someone from point A to point B wave by, and then they, they go off on their own, but then they stop training. And I think that that is what we often, often see is that people are so invested in achieving the, the, the outcome. Uh, and, and that's what smart goals do. They, they get you a very efficient path to achieve an outcome. Um, and kind of parallel to intrinsic and extrinsic motivation uh, is process versus outcome-oriented goals. And um, I think this goes exactly along with what you were talking about. One of the things that can uh, be harmed uh, by the process of dieting down to get lean uh, in someone who's relatively experienced is their strength. Their performance goes down a little bit. As they lose body mass, um, their, their absolute strength might decrease. Uh, if it's getting really tough, they might even see their relative strength decrease. You know, by relative strength, I mean something like a Wilk score, an IPF score, uh, some kind of strength metric that that qualifies your strength relative to your body weight. That typically goes up during weight loss. Um, you know, as you get lighter, the amount of strength you lose on a bench press, a squat, or a deadlift is something that is uh, not as much uh, to make you actually weak relative to your body mass. It's just you can't quite move as much weight. Uh, but now you're a stronger person at 83 than you were at 93 as an example. But anyway, um, if someone is wholly focused on outcomes, um, that loss of strength can be much uh, more frustrating than it can be if someone has a broader card deck of motivation. So uh, an example of how process and outcome goals can be problematic um, is, uh, I'm going off a bit of a tangent here, but it's a good one. Uh, there was a study done in the 70s on uh, on preschoolers, I believe, and uh, it was specifically on drawing and rewards. So they had three groups. I've talked about this before in other places. So if you've heard this, just 
smile and nod and wait, listener, and the rest of you can can learn something while I while I tirade about about research. Um, but essentially, the researchers came in and they they split the the groups of children into three groups um, who were all drawing on their own for fun. And they took one group and they told them, hey, you're now entered into a drawing competition. Whoever does the most time drawing gets a reward, maybe a sticker or candy or something like that. And the other two groups were not told anything. Uh, one was the control group. So they just kept drawing and they just tracked who drew the most, how long, and all these other metrics. And then the other group, they gave a reward without telling them they're in a competition. So after the fact, members of that group would get rewards based on how much they drew. And then they tracked how much adherence to drawing uh, did people have? What was the what was the control group's amount of who kept drawing? You know, because there's going to be naturally some preschoolers who decide they like to draw and they go, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to do uh, play with the play-doh or something else, some other creative activity. And they found that in the group that was entered into a competition and given stickers, they actually uh, had more recidivism from drawing. So less of them were drawing after they'd been been awarded. Uh, and they, you know, tied this into other research in the area and the, the authors basically stated that, hey, once you give someone an award, they uh, let that outcome supplant the process, even in something that they might have already previously liked. And I think that's an experience a lot of people have competitive or non-competitive, but I think it's much more obvious in a competitive athlete when you are literally given a medal or a trophy or a placing uh, or a qualification that all of a sudden you start chasing the trophy, the medal, the qualification, uh, when most likely a competitive bodybuilder or someone who really enjoyed lifting weights um, on their own, because we don't get to play bodybuilding in, in grammar school or high school, um, you know, with something we typically fall in love with lifting, uh, maybe as a side pursuit or strength conditioning for sport. Uh, and then as an adult, we purposely on our own go and seek out competitive bodybuilding, which means there must be a strong uh, attachment to lifting and enjoyment of that process and a willingness to go do something that is not socially normal at all. So there's almost an, an assumption that is probably true in most cases that if someone is competing in bodybuilding for the first time, uh, they love lifting, they love physical culture, they love something about uh, the human body, getting lean, seeing changes, etc. the control, there's probably a lot that appeals to them. Um, and to then be given an award and in that state find yourself uh, more and more focused on the plastic trophy is quite tragic when you think about it, especially if it results in burnout. Um, now, that's not the same as a non-competitor, but the problem with the SMART goal, the problem with getting someone completely focused on the outcome is that it basically becomes that medal or that plastic trophy. So you can get effectively the same thing uh, if someone gets too focused on, on the, these external goals. And unfortunately, we're taught that as trainers. Um, you know, teach them what a reasonable rate of weight loss is, you know, poo-poo the biggest loser and then say, no, we need to lose 0.51% of your body weight per week, uh, no more than a kilo or something like that. Uh, and then we tell them, here's how long we'll need, we'll come on these days, these are the things we'll do, we'll weigh you in regularly. And while I totally believe that um, what isn't measured isn't managed and that if you do have these objective goals that you do need to have some objective checkpoints. However, um, the person will absolutely not stick with these things uh, if they don't find some love of the process. Uh, and that probably wasn't there in this specific example you gave, or the person would have never knocked on your door with two decades of not having done it, despite ostensibly having these goals of looking this way. So to figure out what that disconnect is, you have to start asking a lot of questions. So now I've kind of squared that circle. 
uh, we're coming back, we're doing motivational interviewing, figuring out what is their, are they motivated out of, out of fear? Is it a lack of something? Or do they have a strong goal to look a certain way? If they have, um, you know, a lack of self-worth uh, or, or they don't feel like they have value or they're trying to fix another problem uh, by looking better, um, then, you know, ask questions to see if they really believe uh, that looking better is going to solve it. And a lot of times people are smarter than we give them credit for. They'll realize that that's, this is probably trying to put a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound, or maybe just not even a gunshot wound, but, uh, you know, uh, this is the wrong treatment for, for, for a different type of wound, you know. Um, and they may still, and that, that may prompt uh, new goals, uh, or it may prompt them to have to actually think about why they want to do this, why they haven't done it previously, and what it means to them. And that, that gives an opportunity to have a more intrinsic connection. So uh, for those who are listening and going, well, what the hell is an extrinsic or an intrinsic uh, goal here? Um, something that is intrinsic means it comes from within. You derive value from it. And it's parallel to a, a process-oriented goal. So intrinsic motivation and process-oriented uh, process goals kind of go hand in hand. It means that uh, the process would be that you actively enjoy the process of doing something uh, and that could be in pursuit of a goal. Um, and I'm, I'm realizing I'm monologuing here. Can I now talk about process versus outcome? You good with that? No, that's cool. Keep... Okay, cool. So there's other research that came out recently. Well, I'd say more recent than the one from the 70s. Uh, where the, with the number of different tasks, uh, they compared having a outcome or a process-oriented focus and how it affected the successful completion of those tasks. Uh, and this was like a, the publication, um, they had like origami folding, uh, they had a yoga class, they had something else, and then they had running on a treadmill. So the most relevant one to what we're talking about is running on a treadmill. And essentially what they did for this part of the study was the researchers asked the participants to guess how long they thought they would run for. And they said, you know, stop when you want. Stop when it's something you just don't want to do anymore for whatever reason, right? Um, and then they split them into two groups. Uh, one group was told to focus on the process of running, the things they enjoyed about running, whether it was the feeling, uh, the hard work, you know, whatever. Um, and the other group was told to focus on the outcome. Uh, hey, if you're if you're running for performance, you're thinking about your 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 time trial going down. You're running that race faster. You're getting further. Uh, if you're focused on uh, health, you're thinking about oh, my cholesterol is going to be better because I'm running right now. Uh, and if you're focused on uh, fat loss, you're thinking about, I'm going to look great if I keep the, you know, from, from this running. Um, and in the group that was focused on the process, uh, the, the, the experience, if you will, uh, they underpredicted how much they eventually ran. ran long, so they ran longer than they expected to. And the opposite was seen in the goal-oriented folks uh, by focusing on a goal that was obviously going to happen from, from weeks, if not months or years of running. Um, did not motivate them very effectively to keep going for for the current session and they ran for less uh less long than they expected to so the title of that study was uh i'm paraphrasing because i don't quite remember but it was basically um when focusing on the process sorry focusing on goals under undermines goal pursuit um and this is definitely something that's real it's we have a tough time connecting our current actions to long-term outcomes. Um, and it can actually be really quite 
uh, daunting when you think about it, especially if you have a long-term goal. Imagine trying to climb Everest and you just started, even you reached base camp, uh, and you're thinking about getting to the top. That's that's why we're here. That's a very long distance to go. Um, and I think there's parallels in, in physical goals uh, and, and, and health and, and wellness. Uh, there is some data to suggest that uh, among obese individuals or individuals with obesity, I should say, um, that faster weight loss initially actually predicts uh, long-term outcomes. Uh, and that kind of goes against what we've been taught as personal trainers that, hey, you want to lose that one pound or two pounds a week. And now that is the appropriate amount of weight loss or within the range for like maintaining maximal muscle mass. Uh, if you're a bodybuilder, but bodybuilders are starting in a body composition that most people would like to work to get to, you know, uh, if they're doing it right. So the difference between someone with obesity and someone who is a bodybuilder is that 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 bodybuilder might lose 10 kilos and be like, like you said, insanely shredded and actually having negative symptoms of being too lean. And they don't even try to maintain that level of leanness. However, the first 10 kilos that someone with obesity loses, maybe the first of 40. Uh, and that first 10 kilos, if it takes 10 weeks to come off, man, I've got another 40 weeks. I've got a full year of weight loss ahead of me. This is super daunting. But if they lose those 10 kilos uh, in, in, let's say, six weeks, uh, this isn't too bad. Maybe, maybe I can do this. So it's one of those things where it builds uh, belief. So that's just kind of a little more uh, proof to the pudding, if you will, that if you're totally focused on an outcome uh, without being able to enjoy the process, it can, it can be counterproductive. It can kind of short circuit that process. So it's so important when you first start working with someone uh, to get them invested in the process and to have intrinsic motivation, something internal is driving them. It's not purely, nothing wrong necessarily with extrinsic motivation, but extrinsic motivation without intrinsic motivation um, is, is almost certain to fail. It's just a matter of when. You know, you can have amazing willpower um, and you can make yourself do things. And I think that's something we all understand with the coronavirus right now. There's a lot of people who are very intrinsically motivated, really love training, love bodybuilding, but are not enjoying training right now. Now, someone with um, decent intrinsic motivation, um, what I would say commitment to a lifestyle that commitment will carry them through these periods of low motivation. They'll be doing their push-ups, they'll be doing their Bulgarian split squats, maybe not quite as frequently, maybe not with the same fervor, but they're, they're still gonna get it done despite the fact they've been on lockdown, stuck in their home, um, and maybe they can't get that same level of intensity. Um, but someone who doesn't have that commitment, who is purely focused on an outcome, it's very easy just to throw up your hands and go, well, this isn't gonna get me there. Uh, this is a waste of time. Um, and the willpower will, will fade much more easily because it's not there, you know. Uh, you're doing something for a specific time-restricted outcome goal rather than this is who I am. I have a connection to this practice, uh, and I much prefer to do it in the gym, but I'm going to train. It's just a part of part of who I am, which is something that intrinsic goals get wrapped up into identity, um, and that's a whole other discussion, but that can be a good or bad uh, thing as well. Um, if, if anyone's read James Clear's Atomic Habits, uh, when a habit becomes something that's fully ingrained, uh, it is no longer the habit being external that you talk about and look at over there. You, you start to say things like, I'm the type of person who does blank, or I'm a blank. Um, and while I don't think your whole identity should be, I'm a bodybuilder, um, having that be a part of your identity, I think is, is, is important. 
Um, I'm, I'm not the type of person who skips workouts. Like, like for me, it is almost uh, abhorrent, the idea of me having a scheduled training plan that I wrote down to reach a goal. And then through my own just choice, I don't train. Like, I, I just don't like that. That doesn't that uh, start, stands in direct contrast to who I see myself as, as Eric Helms. So that, that's the eventual place one wants to get to uh, that comes from having these process-oriented goals, and this, uh, this joy and uh, appreciation for the act of doing it, not just what you get from it, uh, and this intrinsic motivation that we're talking about. Um, and if someone isn't there, which they almost by definition aren't if they come to you as a trainer, there's gotta be a lot of work to be done, uh, and not a lot of telling, but a lot of listening. Um, and then once you've done that listening, help them start to reframe and ideally reframe for themselves who they want to be, how they are, and then help them along that process and be there for them so that they can have that, that time in the game to start seeing themselves differently and eventually say something like, um, you know, I'm not somebody who misses workouts. I think a uh, mic drop would be appropriate right here, but um, wow, that's, um, yeah, a lot to unpack, a lot to digest. I think you made a lot of really good points. I don't think I can remember all of them. But um, the last point was, like, I think it's a good, that speaks um, very well to the common misconception that fitness and a healthy lifestyle is all about um, practicing a certain discipline, like practicing yeah. discipline. And uh, rather than that, it's probably a lot more relying on habits that you've entrenched over months and years um, to kind of keep you over water in a, in a difficult time where you just um, maybe you don't have the same uh, appreciation for the, the thing that you once loved because the circumstances have changed, but you've, you're so used to doing it that it's not even an option not to do it. Uh, I think that's where I see myself right now and with uh, training in Corona, like uh, so far I've only trained at home and I haven't been enjoying it um, and it's definitely been reduced, but uh, just leaving it out is, is also not an option. So, and I think that's all down to, um, yeah, habits, um, not discipline for sure. Uh, I really liked uh, how at one point you said um, an obese person and then you went back and said a person with obesity uh, that's that's another thing. Well, the terminology here is, is kind of important, and um, I think Danny Lennon recently had a very good episode on um, terminology around obesity uh, with the researcher. I forgot her name, but she is dealing specifically with that. And um, yeah, that that's another thing that maybe using certain terms might discourage uh, certain populations from doing uh, or going down a certain road, pursuing a certain goal because. Um, the self-identity that sort of is created for them by these, by the rhetoric, by the rhetoric and the terminology, is not conducive to them going into changing their habits and behaviors to a more healthy lifestyle, so to speak. Um, Absolutely. And 